tap into the sound of Lock this Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind, in your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network. MJ, in memory of my sister, Marcia Joyce, and the author of Secret to Seed is here. This is so exciting. Secret to Seed is a pulsating thriller about a coup to assassinate President David Edwards, whose aggressive legislative agenda, backed by broad popular demand, poses an ominous threat to the corporate greed of a major American industry. And if you're listening to the news, you'll know exactly what they're talking about. But the, my favorite character is Secret Service Agent Anthony Russo, Special Forces veteran assigned to the President's Protection Detail, and then I'm not going to tell you any more. Good morning, and how are you? Welcome to MJ Network, Stephen McGuire. Yes, hi, Fran. Uh, you know, how are you this morning? It's a pleasure to have an opportunity to appear on your show. Thank you. It's very warm here, actually, people. It's only 30-something degrees. We're having a heat wave. Seriously. Well, we're down here it's, in, uh, in uh, southwest Florida. It's about it's going to be about 80 today. Sorry to tell you. I know. That's what, that's what my cousin told me. I just told her I hate <laughs> you and just go away. Seriously. <laughs> my whole family is in Florida, and I'm here. But that's okay. Now, the first scene with Edwards sets the stage for what will turn into a nightmare for the company. What was it about this, his speech that nobody wanted, and who would benefit from the goals? Well, like I said in the back cover of the synopsis, um, the president has put forth a very popular agenda of new uh, legislation that deals with um, trying to lower the cost to all Americans for their uh, prescription medications. And uh, this obviously, would it be enacted, would uh, cost the big pharmaceuticals billions of dollars in Mm. corporate profits. So a cabal of, uh, of a few big pharmaceutical executives, um, take it upon themselves, um, feeling that there's no alternative to avoid this new legislation, to put in a place a plan to uh, assassinate the president. And um, so that's the underlying theme. And then the, the prologue of the book begins, and the president is making his annual State of the uh, Union address before Congress, and he's laying out the three or four major uh, components of of his new program Mm -hmm. as to how he's going to, in fact, cut these corporate in prices, you know, for medication. So uh, 
as the scene unfolds in the weeks after the president's speech, the corporate executives get more and more you know, antsy uh, about what's happening. And um, one of the major characters in the book is a corrupt U.S. senator who's in the pocket mm-hmm. of uh, Big Pharma. And his committee controls uh, the extent to which this new uh, legislation will be introduced. So he's done all he can do to hold it off. But they basically, uh, before they make this chilling decision, confer with him. And he tells them, I can't hold them off any longer. This is going to happen. So that's when they feel they're forced to put their and plan into place. That is said. And they didn't even look back to see what that would do to the country. They were just worried about their own greed, right? They didn't care about anything else. Well, that unfortunately tends to be the case anymore with most uh, concerns uh, in this country. So that's unfortunately sort of uh, where this country has found itself. Well, you know, you go into the pharmacies now, and sometimes the price is not really bad, and sometimes the week after, the same medicine is like 10 times much more. So it all depends, which is really scary. And and sometimes they tell you they don't have it. So yeah, who right. is Senator, Senator Blaine, and how did he manage to rise to power? And who, well, I, who, well, I'm not going to ask. Yeah, I'm not going to ask who decided to take the president, do the president. But how did he rise to power? Well, the, there's a couple of chapters, and what I do with all my yeah. books. This is actually my most recent and third novel that I've written, and they're all uh, the political you know, thrillers mm. that take place in and around Washington D.C. And uh, so, what I usually do, and I think one of the um, highlights of my writing is that I really get into the characters, and as I did with uh, with uh, Senator Blaine, um, I took the, uh, the reader back into his days when he was in college and what motivated him and how he got his start in politics in uh, Washington. So I take the, you know the reader through his entire experience and how he ended up becoming such mm-hmm. a powerful head of this um, Senate you know, committee. And uh, like all my characters, I I become so detailed in who they are that it's not just a question of whether the character likes them or not, but I take them back sometimes into their childhood so the reader understands who this character really is and why they became the person that they became. And uh, so I do that with all the characters, all the major characters in this book. So you can understand by the time they, they're at the height of their power why they are in that position. Well, it does help to understand their background and what caused it, yeah. So here's a character that needed to get a little bit more wise. Who was Brandon Wood? And from the start, he thinks that he's above the law. And why? 
and he really needs to plug in his mind to see what's really there. Are, are you talking about uh, Senator Blaine? No, Brandon Wood, the the kid. Oh, that was oh, working oh, yeah, for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, there's a scene where one of the senator's staff assistants, uh, he's a young man, yeah, and he gets a little carried away at a Georgetown cocktail party, and he. Uh, assaults this young girl and mm. Blaine covered up for him principally not so much to protect him but knowing that this kid might have his own future on Capitol Hill he wanted an IOU that he made clear that someday I'm going to call upon you to you know, collect so um that was how Blaine operated. Everybody he interacted with that he did any sort of a favor for, they knew that mm-hmm. they owed him. So that's how he acquired and accumulated power is by uh, having people who owed him favors. Well, I know people like that. And obviously, if you don't do the favor then they're going to undo what they did for you. Exactly. Well, right? that's right. They're going to cause you a lot more problems than if you didn't do them a favor. And they knew that. And uh, someone like Blaine, who'd been on the Hill for 35 years, had a long mm-hmm. history of this. And people you know, feared him for that very reason. He was a power unto himself on Capitol Hill. So you didn't want to get on the wrong side. Of him Sounds like somebody that's been in the news too much What can I say <laughs> so. Well that's uh, <laughs> the case With uh, with you know, Quite a few of the politicians That's for sure So who was Dubrowski And what was his plan And of course I don't like him Well you know, Dubrowski was one of the corporate Titans who was a billionaire in his own right and was a, mm. obviously a a big, important person within the industry. And uh, he basically had enough power in his own right to hatch this, this devious plot to assassinate the president. I mean, this did not mm. involve the entire industry. This involved a cabal of about three executives who in a clandestine fashion hatched this plan to take out the president. And uh, this book, the underlying theme of this book is all about greed, about Mm -hmm. greed and power. And um, as are oftentimes my book. So, you know, the greed of man here and the extent that men go to to preserve and advance their power and their greed is the essence of this story. And here he had everything in the world that, that, or that the world could offer him, but it wasn't enough. He wanted more. And so uh, it shows the human uh, the frailty of man. And in the end, it cost him very dearly. I know, and the ending really deserve what they got, whoever they are. Right, and the, like so, I said, the the old quote is, they flew too close to the sun. 
So who is um, why didn't it, who is Madigan? Madigan was an FBI agent himself mm. who was uh, charged with investigating the assassination of the U.S. You know, president from within the uh, White House. And uh, but as the reader will find out after a while, when there didn't seem to be a whole lot happening on the investigation that Madigan himself was, uh, I don't know, an after-the-fact accomplice to the conspirators, Mm. and he was paid to suppress the investigation. So this is what got the protagonist of the book, Anthony Russo, the secret service agent. Yes, who's from... Other than Bensonhurst, by the way, um, who uh, who had who had been on the president's uh, protective detail and was loyal to the president, he was not satisfied with the way that the official investigation was proceeding. So he decides to conduct his his own investigation, and um, so he goes behind the scenes and ascertains you know, the dark and appalling truth as to what actually transpired and the furtherance of this, you know, sinister plot. So um, he he soon uncovered everything, which put his own life into you know, tremendous danger. He was brave to do that, but he felt that, I think he felt responsible for the death of the president because wasn't he, he was on the protective, right. he was part That's of his right. protective he, staff, right? That's exactly he right. Kind he of felt, whatever. Yes, he felt a certain amount of you know guilt that the president was killed on his watch. So uh, um, he was committed to try to do everything he could to see that the conspirators were brought to justice. So who is DeLuca and who is Perez? And what did they do for Russo? I'm sorry, who is you know, Perez? Perez, Perez, yeah, DeLuca. Who is DeLuca? And what does he do, for, what did anybody do to help Russo in, you know, finding out what really happened? Who was part of his team? Did he have a team or did he do it by oh, himself? Oh, oh, yes. These were, yeah. these were individuals who were also within the Secret mm-hmm. Service at the you know, Financial mm-hmm. Crimes Office, also in, I think, New York. So Russo, in his early career, had been a field agent in the office in New York, so he got to know these individuals, and he had kept in touch with them all these years. And so he took advantage of their access to the uh, financial center of the Secret Service to track down various accounts to help Russo figure out how this plot you know, emanated. So what happens now? I know they had to um, inaugurate uh, Anderson as president, right? They had to do that right away. Correct. Correct. That's right. And he he was. How does he adapt to being the president? And where does he start? I mean, is he going to continue with what Edwards did and put himself in danger? I mean, that's a well, that's a great thing. Think... He had to come come after him. That's hard. Right. Well, that's certainly a possibility, and I think uh, yeah. after 
after Edwards was assassinated, the country is in such shock, as was Anderson, that, you know, he, he took over the office of the president trying to just hold the country together. I don't think he had a mm. agenda either way. And certainly once he was in office for a while, then he started to put his own agenda into place. And, uh, you know, he, he was a ally of Edwards, but he didn't necessarily follow the same, you know, priorities uh, or the legislative you know, priorities that Edwards had. So when he first takes office, he's merely trying to hold the country together and uh, get enough support that he can keep pushing forward. But, you know, he was an honorable man, but uh, you know, Edwards mm. was was one of a kind, and his agenda defined who he was. So um, Anderson was merely trying to hold the, uh, 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 the White House staff together and the cabinet and trying to just get by day to day in the weeks after the president's death. Well, there's been so many presidents that have been assassinated in real life, and some of those vice presidents, not really, you know, did did the same thing, did the greatest job. So he adapted to be president, and how was the plan, how did you execute the plan to kill the president with what you, that that was clever. Well. And how you, how you, that was, I was like, What? That is really clever because I don't think anybody's ever written a novel where they, the uh, agent for killing the president was in something. How did you how did you explain nerve gas and how did you decide how the murder was executed? It's like you got to be kidding me. Well, you know, it's just one of the uh, things that I do as a as a writer and. I always tell people, I, I, my wife has been acting as my marketing agent here for a couple of years, and I've spoken to over 50 groups. I've been on 20 or so radio shows and podcasts. I had one last week in Spain. And everyone asks me that question, and what I tell them is, one of the hallmarks of my writing is that I try to make the storylines of each of these books are they unique? I don't want to just follow a, a, a formulistic approach where I'm basically telling the same type of story every time. I'm just changing a few subplots and characters. So I spend a lot of time coming up with these storylines. And to answer your question without getting any details, because I don't want to you know, ruin it for people that haven't no, read. No, you don't want to tell them. It was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, and so I, I spend a lot of time researching these things, and uh, I came up with this particular uh, unusual plot, and I think it turned mm-hmm. out pretty well. And uh, so it just, you know, it's just the time to dedicate to deciding you want to put forth a uh, a storyline that people have never read about before. And that's what we do in all three of my books. The sad part is that the president thought he could trust the person, trust the person, and the person that he thought he could trust blindsided him, and his, the president's weakness is what got him killed, right? 
Well, it's not so much his weakness; it's the greed of his associate mm-hmm. that that yeah. that was uh, taken over by the prospect of earning a lot of money to be in on the plot. Mm-hmm. And the president had every reason to um, be supportive of, of this individual, but uh, it was the individual that fell. Um, you know, fell off his principles because of his greed. So Russo, I love Russo. He finds many well, roadblocks. Well, I put a lot of time. I put a lot of time on on him. And uh, so like tell I us say, a little about him. him and how he got to be where he is. Because he was somebody, he he asked to be the protective detail, but I think in the end, I don't think he was too thrilled that he had to be the one that felt responsible for the president's death. Well, no, it was a, it was a horrible outcome yeah. for him. But but you know, Russo was a young man from an Italian family in uh, Bensonhurst, uh, in New York, who grew up um, as with, with a very close knit family who's father served in the war and very patriotic and so he always wanted to follow in his father's footsteps so um, he um, he didn't go to college right away he joined the U.S. Uh, uh, the Marines and got into special you know, forces and served overseas and then when he was honorably discharged uh, he had some Connections, and he got uh, appointed as a special agent in the New York field office of the Secret Service, and that's what got him his start. And then he, after several years of that, he found his way onto the White House in protective detail. So again, it's a situation where I take the reader back into his childhood, and mm. you know what an honorable individual he is so i think most readers will will find themselves supporting him and his efforts and um so you know that's just how i formulate not just the storyline but the but the characters okay i have to ask this question because it wouldn't be me seriously um after reading the book and reviewing the book with my 20-star review, um, would, are you going to bring Russo back? Have readers said that, that they want to see more of him? Well, that's a good question. I've been asked that many times in all of my books. In my first book called Prior you know, Restraint, the protagonist was a young Washington, D.C. reporter named Jesse McCabe. And... Um, she, uh, I've had several people say, are you going to write a sequel for Jesse McKay? But I think mm. it's a real compliment. But it, what it is, it's a testament, I believe, to the effort I put into these characters. My characters are unique, and they're, some of them are, are admirable. Others are sinister. So whether you like them or not, you really get into the characters. In the case of uh, Russo and McCabe, people want to see more of them. 
Um, right mm-hmm. now, I'm not planning on doing a sequel because I like to uh, create new storylines and new characters with every book. Maybe someday you know, I will. Um, but um, right now, uh, these characters will exist and live into, per- into perpetuity in the context of these stories. Well, you could always combine McKay and Musso and put him in the same novel. He's, he's good for investigation. <laughs> well, and no, she's that's a reporter. Idea. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> Just leave it. Yeah, I, come I, up maybe with I could do. Yeah, maybe I could do something else where the two of them you know, hook up together, and then uh, boy, that yeah. that would be a bestseller. <laughs> you never know. You never um, know. So, Howard Wolf, uh, fentanyl seems to be the drug of the, of the day. And I, I, you know, I was lucky. I taught for 37 years in a public school in the Bronx. And basically, only once, the first year I taught, there was a kid in my class selling outside, whatever he was, I caught him. And you wonder, these kids, you know, the fentanyl, of course, is the worst thing that you could possibly do, correct? Right, It's right, scary. Right. So how right. would somebody get all of that? And how many agencies were involved in this particular thing? In uh, in what fentanyl? Yeah, in in trying to help Russo find out what was going on, because there's an agency. What did I do? I wrote it over here. Um, what is the financial crimes uh, unit? What is the financial crimes right. enforcement network? Right. Well, like network? I said earlier, as I said earlier, that is a branch of the Secret Service. Mm -hmm. And so Russo has a lot of contacts within that financial crimes unit. So he took advantage of his connections to explore Mm -hmm. some some money trails. And that's the beginning of how they got onto some of these conspirators. And uh, so he just uh, utilized uh, some of the contacts he had within his own agency. Now, Blaine is really bad. And he ex- he is the reason why this other person did the murder, practically murdered the president, actually murdered the president. We know that. Well, I don't get too so, much away here. I'm not giving anything away because after I, after I read it, I said, oh, my God, hmm, I hope nobody does that. So yeah. in chapter 19, Blaine becomes unglued. How did you create right. his sharing his thoughts? And Madigan, poor thing. So how did you create Blaine becoming like unglued? He was aware that he's in big trouble, I guess. Well, that you know that was the essence of it. As the as the Russo investigation began to take shape and they were able to get a better handle on what had really happened. And as Blaine begun, begins to become caught up in that, he's feeling the pressure. And here he had been a distinguished U.S. senator who had been on Capitol Hill for 35, 40 years. And he feels his whole world is caving in you know, around him. So I am very proud of that scene, which I'm not going to get into. Uh, yeah. 
the end because I think it, it, it very clearly depicts his mental state. And I did a lot of research on the the mentality of someone whose walls are closing in on them and, and how they might react. And I, I really believe that's one of the really key scenes in the whole story is how Blaine handled the pressure of this inv- of this investigation closing in on him. And I think it's a compelling scene. It was heartbreaking in a sense to see someone with so much power thinking that he's above the law and then realizing maybe I'm not. Well, and, it, it's, and it's, I it's, think that's it's, the it's, common... I think that's the common denominator in several of these conspirators. As the walls begin to close in, they realize how foolish they were. They had everything, but they wanted more. And that's the essence of this book is, is you know, human greed is, is insatiable. And in the end, they lost everything because of it. Now, what would have happened if just if they did not go after the president, if Dubrowski decided, well, maybe we could work out a plan or something with the president? They didn't even think that. They automatically said, well, it's not going to happen. I mean, his State of the Union address was, like, really great. Too bad nobody makes one like that anymore. It's sad. Well, but, but, but as you follow the story in the weeks after yeah. the State of the Union address, you know, Blaine was they he was having regular communications with some of the executives, and uh, they were asking him, "Is this legislation going to pass your committee?" And he finally yeah. confirms with them at the Plaza Hotel up in uh, in New York. I can't hold it back anymore. It's going to happen. So it was only after a lot of of patience, I guess you'd call it, that the cabal finally felt forced to act, and they knew they didn't have much time to do it. And um, so it was just a, they, they, I think they thought that they could hold it off, but it got to the point where this agenda was so popular that the committee was forced to pass the president's proposal and the conspirators couldn't wait any longer. That, that's what's really sad. And even if it passed, passes whatever, that doesn't stop somebody from killing the president anyway. So this, this well, really right. got me is that a certain person, I won't say who, was, was part of the investigation and nobody, no, nobody noticed it at first. So how do you have right. somebody in that kind of power and he's really against everything, so what do you do with that? How do you, how do you find out before we get into the other characters? That well, my these part? are all just subtleties, and there are sub-stories within the main plot line. So this is what makes, I think, my stories compelling, is that uh, it has little twists and turns, and you have characters operating within their own uh, the milieu and they're they're pursuing their interests and their thought making is being articulated and 
So it's just another little pathway that the story leads to. And then, uh, as you know, at the end, it, it all comes back together. But you don't know where the story is headed yeah. until toward the end of the book. And I think that's what makes it an interesting read. That's what makes it. I'm looking at the book that's in front of me. Nobody's getting this one. They have to buy it themselves. 451 pages. And I should tell you, I'm a speed reader. Really. So it took me about, and I I took my time reading it. It took me two hours, which is usually longer than it takes me to read something. Yeah, yesterday I read a 300-page book in an hour. I just zapped it out. And I said, look, can't be, if it takes me less than, takes me more than three hours or four hours to read a book, it's, you got a big problem. <laughs> Takes me more than a day right. to read it. You got a bigger problem. This one. So, who is Martin Kerwin, and how did they cooperate with Murphy and Anderson? I like Anderson. Well, they, they, these individuals were the um, attorney general and the head of the FBI and mm-hmm. I have a scene I have a scene with them and a Russo on Air Force One with, mm-hmm. with President Anderson and they're trying to work together to figure out how to pursue this uh this assassination plot. And so they're all key characters within the story and they're working together to try to figure out, you know, how can we get a handle on what has happened here? And they all don't realize that some of the other principals involved were mm-hmm. even involved. So, you know, it's uh, it's uh, one of those subtleties that the story brings forth as you get closer toward the conclusion. But so we have Martin. They're flying. There's a great scene where they're flying yeah. on Air Force One with the president, and they're discussing how can we how can we work together to try to solve this this crime. Well, interagencies, FBI, CIA, and all of them don't always want to work together because there's always one agency That's, that wants to one up and be in charge. So that makes it hard exactly when you have right. egos to deal with. You're, uh, I that's know. Exactly I think you're correct, and um, that is what happens here. Um, the FBI and the Secret Service are sort of at odds mm. with each other, and that's sort of mm. their historical their historical relationship in those cases where they've been operating together. So you're right. There's there's this bureau competition, but and one thinks they're better than the other, and so there's not the innate cooperation that you would hope because of that. Well, I know I just finished a book yesterday, like I said, and the day before, and the day before. And sometimes yes. the first people on site are police officers, and then their captain or somebody comes by, and then all of a sudden the FBI says, get lost, or the Secret Service says, get lost. And here you have police officers that are really – you know, just trying to do their job and help out. So that makes right. it hard, too. But before I forget, I'm not sure if I'm going to be doing the interview on Monday. 
uh, author Peter James is in England, and I told him I will not, I don't want to do Zoom. Um, I could do Restream, which is a YouTube video, but I prefer doing blog talk. So I'm not sure if he's going to uh, call in from England. On the 6th, we right. have the author of uh, Terror Bay. Oh, scary. On the 8th, New York Times author and an Ocean View author, Face of Greed, John Letoile. On the 12th, Michelle Cameron. And on the 26th, my, one of my favorite people, David Putnam. And on the 28th, my very first author that invited me to come to the Thriller Fest, John Land. And they're all going to be there in February. And there's a few more in between, but I didn't announce them because I still didn't get the books to read. And if anybody has a new book coming out in March, April or May or June, you better tell me because March is going, April is filled up, and May and June, I still have a few more spots. I have never been this popular. Now I am. And for those of you that want to listen to this podcast, you can go on Blog Talk Radio, you can go on Spotify, you can go on Audacity, and you can go on Apple iTunes everywhere. The minute this sells, it goes right on Spotify. So your your show will definitely be heard by a lot of people. So Well, good. And I would urge is, you at some point when you get the opportunity to read my second book, Fractured Power, and if you wish, I'd be happy to come back on again. Well, whatever you want to send me, I'll read. And whatever you want to send okay. me, I'll read. I, I okay, just got I got one from a, from the publicist, and she said I'll send you the PDF. Not in this lifetime. I only read print because reading okay. on my computer bothers my eyes. And you know what? Like I said, it's my I've been reading. I used to read ten books a week when I was a kid. I can do about five or six now if I feel like it. Wow. And it also depends awesome. if I like the book. Yeah, well, what's really sad is that there's one that I'm reading that I'm looking at and go like, do I have to really finish this? Oh, God, no. But, you know, I don't write negative. So I just won't write anything wonderful. So, right. McCoy, who is who is McCarthy? And he wants to protect Russo. How does he? How do you protect somebody like Russo that doesn't think he needs protection? Well, Russo is a, a loyal Secret Service agent, mm-hmm. and McCarthy is yeah. supervisor. And he was keeping McCarthy fully apprised on everything he was doing, and McCarthy was very supportive of his investigation. Mm. He just said, let's keep it in-house until we get a better idea what happened here. So Rousseau was merely operating up the chain of command. So we have Blaine and Wilcox and Madigan. So how how did you create all of the things that happened? And then how did they figure out who the person was that actually caused this whole thing to happen without saying the person's name? How did they find out who it is? I mean, well, Russo's a genius. That's how they'll find out. I mean, uh, you know, I um, when you say how did you create, you know, it's a, uh, Writing books is not just writing. A mm. lot of it's research and being able mm. to envision a scenario. I like to think that my characters, once I've created three or four main characters, that they drive the storyline. I mean, I have an idea where I think it, the story's going to go, but I like in my mind to believe that the characters become so real that they're the ones that drive how the story's going to go, and they take a life on their own and 
how they interact with each other might define how the story proceeds. So, you know, that's what I think I do quite well and what separates my books from quite a few others is that the characters are so real that you honestly believe this was a true story. I've had people tell me any number mm. of times at conferences, your books are so real. You know, did they really happen or is it true? And I say, no, but it could be. So I, I write on the cutting edge of fantasy and reality, and especially given the situation in uh, Washington and my experience in Washington, I portray events that, that are right there on the edge of on the reality. So I think it makes for a compelling, if not chilling, um, plot line for all these stories. It's, it's the truth, because, I mean, you wonder, somebody planned to kill Kennedy, somebody planned to kill Robert, somebody planned to kill everybody. When they killed Abraham Lincoln, they really made a big mistake, seriously. <laughs> and Martin Luther King, that was tragic. That was sad. That was really tragic. So anybody right. that tries to kill somebody like that deserves whatever they get. That's if they find him to get him. So right. yeah. as a result... As a result, this is a tough one. Anderson has a lot, has a big, big bag of shoes to follow, to follow up. Right. So, what was the result of what Edwards wanted? And would Anderson honor his goals, or did he create a state of the union on his own? Well, in the epilogue of the book, I explain all that. Yeah, I'm not going to tell explain- them that. <laughs> well, I'm saying, and I'm not either. So the epilogue, after all this goes down, then there's an epilogue at the end of the book that kind of explains what happened to the the Edward agenda. And uh, I won't get into that, but uh, it all comes together at the end. It certainly does. Now, this was surprising. How did you? How does Russo decide what he decides to do? That I said, are you kidding? And then I understood why he did it. Well, then you understood because I, I explained how he came to the conclusion to pursue the future that he decided to pursue. He was he was uh, put off by the greed of man that he experienced with all these powerful people and the ultimate cost uh, to all of them as a consequence of their greed. And he realized that 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 pursuit of power in the end was not worth it. So he decided to go, even though he became, you know, a highly respected Secret Service agent as a result of his investigation. And he had a brilliant future ahead of him. He decided to pursue something else different because of what he had observed. You can't blame him in the sense he was promoted to something else by Anderson. But I'm wondering if Anderson decided not to run and Russo decided to run for president or, or public office, would he have won? 
Not that he wanted to. <laughs> well, I don't. I that's one of my questions. Uh, I keep doing. I do that. What can I do? <laughs> well, that's a question. Uh, I, I hadn't thought about that one. Uh, I, I don't think that would have been uh, in the realm of plausibility. You know, uh, Russo was not a public to this investigation. This is all behind. And he was honored by the Secret Service for his, you know, you know, efforts in the investigation. But no, I had I had thought about him running for president. He was only about thirty seven years old. Yeah, he's a kid. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> but what would have happened if if I mean Russo Russo is a is a great character. But I don't, I don't know. How did you create the the final scenes? So to let us know that he, this was going to go in a different type of direction. And do you think Anderson would run again? Well, I I leave that up to the uh, reader. You know, I don't always tie my stories up in a in a nice little bow in the end. To some yeah, extent, in Secret I did that. In my other two, I did not do that at all, and I don't believe everything has to end on a completely understandable note. Uh, Fractured Power, which I would encourage you to read, is a psychological thriller with a dark Mm. ending. So, um, uh, you know, every book is different, and that's what gives me pleasure as a writer to write totally different storylines and they have different endings so I don't try to bring everything together necessarily uh, to some extent I did in Secret Deceit but uh, that's the first time I've done that and probably next time I won't do So tell me something I've interviewed um, FBI agents for real they find me and I've interviewed other judges I've interviewed an awful lot of people in 15 years and when the FBI agents and the DEA and the CIA agents said that before they could write a book and get it published, they need permission to publish it right. to make sure they're not giving away any information. Right. So does that apply to when you write also? Do you have to show what show them what you wrote? No, 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 no. I've been retired uh, you don't from have the to. federal government since 2008, so I'm under no um, confidentiality agreements or anything like that. That is good. So for those people that don't know, before I ask the last four questions, my new book is out. We'll scare the daylights out of you. I'm very proud to say it's called Mirror Image, and it deals with, I was thinking about people that do the wrong thing. It could be a politician. It could be a lawyer. It could be anybody that does the wrong thing, and I played out what the person did. I showed what they did, explained what they did, and they had no remorse. So they look, took a, take their face and look in the mirror, and the mirror explains what they did wrong and plays out what the person did and says, if you don't redo the event, you're going to become a face in the mirror and we play it forever. Well, that's pretty it's interesting. It's called Mirror Image. Yeah. I didn't say I was going to write normal stuff. It's horror. And the second yeah. half yeah. of the book is from my series, Faces Behind the Stones. My sister died. Well, under certain certain circumstances, we're not really sure. Um, I went to the cemetery 
for her unveiling. And I said, Marsha Joyce, what happened on June 26th when you had the heart attack? What, why didn't they call 911 in time? What happened? If you could talk to me, what would you say? So I decided to write a book about people whose voices were silent, wrongly accused, or deserve whatever I gave them. So that's the second half of the book. But basically, awesome. I based okay. it on what happened to her. Yeah. We're not even sure. So right. you right. you ha- you did a lot of research and stuff. So tell us, how did you use your real-life experience in in writing this book? Well, that's tell a us good what's question. next, because I'm going to know. I was, yeah. I was in Washington for 32 years, and I was at a very high level of, of government, so... Over that period of time, I had a ringside seat as to how political power mm. is exercised in Washington. And that's the sub-theme of all three of my books, is how power is utilized and exercised. And I take the reader behind closed doors so they'll, they'll be part of the conversations with these politicians and their chiefs of staff and the corporate mm. people and so that they and it's not a pretty picture. If any of your mm. listeners have ever watched the TV show House of Cards with Kevin Spacey, they know that takes on a rather jaded perspective on politics in Washington, and that's pretty much the way my books are. It's not a pretty, and my experience at the at the center of power in Washington. Uh, my perspective, my storylines, and uh, I think it's a fairly unique perspective, and uh, it's amazing how you're able to draw in some of your own experiences in that time into a fictional mm-hmm. uh, circumstance with fictional characters, and it, it together. That's why um, so many people believe it's real because a lot of it is based on uh, on events that have happened that people don't even know. That's scary. Well, I watched Cold Justice, uh, Dateline Unforgettable, Dateline Uncovered, Dateline yeah. Murder in the Heartland in New York. I watched all of that because I think it's yeah. great. And it's amazing yeah. that, you know, and if you listen to the news, what you're writing about is not so far off that it doesn't really happen. I mean, there were a whole well, bunch of state senators, the governor of Florida, who's, well, they, I don't know if he's going to run again to say this, but that's beside the point. Uh, I mean, it, it's so real life and realistic that, you know, you, you actually sit there and go, yeah, I know that. That's really great. So what's next for you, and where can everybody get all of your books at the well, same time? Well, they can they can get my books on Amazon Books. They can either type in my name, Stephen McGuire, with a P-H-E-N, and then uh, I would urge them to go on my uh, website, which is stephenmcguireauthor.com. Again, Stephen with a P-H-E-N, stephenmcguireauthor.com, and that will in my biography about me and all three of, of my books, and then you can order them off Amazon Books. Um, well, whenever you write a new book, one, make sure, what's the next book called, and when am I getting it? Well, <laughs> um, that's that, I do I that think, only, I only do that if I really want to read the book. I won't do it if I don't want to read the next one. 
I think what we'll do is send you a copy of my second book for the time being. Okay. Fractured Power. It's another compelling psychological, political thriller that takes place okay. in Boston. And in the meantime, uh, like I say, the most difficult facet of writing is to come up with a storyline, and that's what I'm working on now for my fourth book. I haven't crystallized yet what I'm going to do, but I, I will be. We'll get that out sometime. And well, that's good. Well, I want to. I can't. I'm going to know it's like static all of a sudden. All right. Well, good. Well, we'll uh, keep you abreast, and uh, we'll send you Fractured Power, which I would encourage encourage to read as well. And I will find that. I think the storyline there has never been done before. And I'm not I'll sure let you know. But it's. <laughs> It is one that I think will really, it's a dark psychological Well, I'm sure I'm going to love it, and I'm sure I'm going to want an interview as soon as I finish reading it. What I do is I read the book, create the questions, and then tell the author, be there on this day. But thank you so much. (laughs) This has been a great, this brightened my day, let me tell you. It really did. I really appreciate it. And um, if you email me with dates in May, that you can do an interview, let me know. I'll let you know if they fit in my schedule. And then June is a little bit, is open. I I think I have two in June. (laughs) And I'm very honored to say that New York Times author, who writes for Criminal Minds, D.P. Lyle, is coming on in August with Unbalanced. And I read it yesterday. That's what was fantastic. But thank you so much, everybody. Thank you. Have a great day. Stay safe and bye. Bye-bye.